Well, it's good to be back with you all this morning after uh, getting back from Montana uh, a few days ago. Uh, it's interesting in the Lord's providence, it feels like uh, over the next few weeks, it's, it's ministry from Latin America to Faith Covenant Church. And last week we had our missionary, Erica Clausen, with us, a missionary in southern Mexico. We're going to have Manuel uh, uh, as our speaker for the retreat. And then uh, I've met my good friend and brother over here, uh, Pastor Felipe Chami. Uh, he is uh, an ordained pastor in the Anglican Church of Chile. Uh, he's been a, a pastor there for over 10 years. Uh, and he came to Wheaton uh, to get his Ph.D. in the New Testament, studying under Doug Moo. And uh, he's become a, a friend and he's a brother in Christ. And we're just so glad you're here. So would you guys welcome Pastor Felipe as he comes to share uh, the word with us this morning. Thank you. It's such a joy to be here. I've, I've had the opportunity to share with, with some of you over the last couple of months in different, different instances. And we, we, my wife, my children and I, we, we really have a love for this church. We've enjoyed it here, a fellowship, a fellowship with you uh, as, well, as much as we've had the opportunity. And it's a joy to be here and have the, have the opportunity to share God's word with you as well. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the joy and opportunity just to gather in your presence and be encouraged and transformed by the power of your spirit through your word, Father. Show us show us how powerful you are and how much we can trust in you in prayer Father. we pray that we will be able to see that you are the only true powerful king and that many more will come to you and to your deliverance in jesus we pray this in jesus name amen amen Yes, we live in a world that is constantly battling God and His ways. There are places in where this is explicit, uh, and even governments violently try to stop the church, church's growth or the spread of God's Word. And the book of Acts is full of examples of evil powers trying to extinguish the church and the power of the gospel. It's like Tolkien's description of Sauron's evil racing up from Mordor in the book, The Lord of the Rings. It seemed that the evil power in Mirkwood had been driven out by the White Council only to reappear in greater strength in the old strongholds of Mordor. The Dark Tower had been revealed, it was said, from there, Sauron's power was spreading far and wide and away far east and south. There were wars and growing fear. Well, Acts chapter 12 is no different. Herod here is the symbol of violent opposition against the church. However, Luke teaches that teaches us that no matter how powerful this opposition may seem to be, God is God. 
He is the only true powerful king. We can and we must therefore pray earnestly for the king to establish his kingdom, to desire his kingdom, his kingdom to come. Luke portrays the spiritual confrontation of Herod as a violent king against God, the powerful king, and shows how God is finally the victorious king. So the violent king against the powerful and victorious king. Let's look first at the violent king, verses 1 to 5, the apparent power of Herod. Herod is Herod the king, right? At least in the eyes of everyone, he was indeed the king. But note first the language Luke uses to describe Herod's actions. Verse 1, King Herod arrested some intending to persecute them. He literally laid hands upon some in order to harm them and killed James with a sword. Verse 2, then Luke emphasizes the use of power, violent power. The whole book of Acts, it's like a roller, co a roller coaster. Just when things are doing great and thousands of converts come to Jesus, Peter and John end up in prison. And then after the church is united and deacons are appointed, Stephen is stoned to death. We see the same thing here, just after, uh, just after the encouraging report in chapter 11 about the gospel reaching out to the Gentiles and, ha and, and what God was doing in Antioch with Barnabas and Paul. Luke tells us that Herod, Herod strikes again and kills James. Not only that, also Herod decides to arrest Peter again. But no, note why he arrested Peter, verse 3. It was because he saw that killing James pleased the Jews. Here's the king of the Jews, the one who should fear God the most, was instead fearing people. And look at what great length he went to secure Peter in prison. M maybe we should have Mr. Scott again and pull all the... <laughs> our friends here after arresting him he put him in prison handing him over to be guarded by four squads or of four soldiers each and Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover sure Herod was evidencing all his power killing James by the sword guarding Peter with many soldiers but Herod was motivated by sheer insecurity. Abusive leadership is often fueled by insecurity, the desire to please men and women. So violent power is no power at all. It reveals weakness. The same is true at home and in the church parents or leaders who try to exercise control through physical, emotional, and even spiritual violence are really losing control. 
However, when you realize that you are weak, then you turn to true power in prayer. And that's what the church did. Did you see that? Verse 5. Therefore, while Peter was kept in prison, the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now this, this verse is a whole sermon in itself. Earnest prayer by the church to God for him. But let's, let us focus on the fact that persecution, hardship, produced earnest prayer. It's hardship rather than prosperity that brings us closer to God. As we realize our weaknesses, especially in a world opposed to Jesus and the gospel, the more we'll turn to God in earnest prayer. And we could sure use some hardship and persecution here in the suburbs. I'm sure you yourself have experiences the more you suffer the more you see yourself praying and praying earnestly but comfort and prosperity are some of the biggest distractions for the life of prayer in the church C.S. Lewis writes in the book screw tape letters have you read screw tape letters if you haven't repent and do so quickly it's a book about an older demon writing letters to his nephew giving him advice about how to tempt and distract a, 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 a man a Christian a Christian man and he says this demon says prosperity needs a man to the world he feels that he is finding his place in it, what really it is finding its place in him. His increasing reputation, his widening circle of acquaintances, his sense of importance, the growing pressure of absorbing an agreeable work built up in him a sense of being really at home on earth, which is just what we want so hardship rather than prosperity bring us closer to God in prayer and there's an additional element here yes the church was suffering Herod violently sized some of them and killed James but look here stresses how the church at home was praying for Peter in prison the church was interceding for him. And we need to see not just our own weaknesses, but also the weakness of others suffering hardship and persecution and respond to it in prayer. I've had the opportunity to visit Cuba and see churches being planted there, pastors trained and people coming to Jesus. But every time I've been there, Pastors and leaders are afraid there might be government spies among the congregation. Pastors have been detained for no apparent reasons. Church properties have been expropriated. 
etc. In their weakness and their suffering, the, they have proven to be a praying church. I've always been amazed at their faith and commitment to prayer in the midst of suffering. So we should remember them also and pray and pray earnestly for them. So this violent king is really confronting the true powerful king. So in striking contrast to Herod, the violent king, Luke shows us the gentle power of the true king. I love this passage. It's kind of funny and ironic. Despite being guarded by four squads of four soldiers each, and that Peter was leaping between two soldiers, <coughs> bound with two chains and other sentries protecting the door, the angel of the Lord simply poked Peter. Literally, the angel struck Peter and the chains fell No armies, no swords, no SWAT team, no displays, no, no display of violence whatsoever. Everything happened so fast that Peter did not have time to realize what was going on. He thought he was seeing a vision. And note the angel's instructions in verse 7. Get up, quick! Verse 8. The angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around and follow me, the angel told him. Now, this instruction sound very similar to those God gave the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 12. He says, This is how you are to eat the Passover meal with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your stuff in your hand. Eat in haste, eat quickly. It is the Lord's Passover. And funnily enough, this is not the only connection Luke makes between Peter's imprisonment and the Passover. Did you see the end of verse 3? This imprisonment happened during the festival of unleavened bread. And the end of verse 4, Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. But now why would Luke want to want, wants us to see this connection between Peter's deliverance and the Exodus or the original Passover? It's because Peter's deliverance is an illustration of the gospel. Just as the Exodus prefigures the gospel, and the gospel is the true manifestation of the power of God. The Apostle Paul writes elsewhere, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human wisdom strength and that's precisely what we see here in chapter 12 the apparent weakness of the church against Herod's sword 
is turned over its head. And God proves to be stronger than human strength. Look at verse 11. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel to rescue me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Friends, it is not the church, it's not governments, it's not schooling, not any human institution who would be able to rescue you, deliver you from the evils of this world. We are all weak and in desperate need of a savior. Only Jesus brings true, powerful deliverance. <clears throat> what would you do if, like Peter, you knew you would most probably die the next morning? What would you feel? Anxiety, frustration, impotence? What if, like Peter, you were to suffer unjustly? Did you see what Peter was doing? How he was feeling? Look at again at verse 6. When Herod was about to bring him for trial, that night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. As one author writes, sleeping, quite soundly sleeping in fact. He did not have some kind of martyr complex. His restfulness simply meant he was at peace with himself and with God. He probably fell asleep resting in Jesus. True, you may say, but Felipe, Peter was delivered, but James was not. We do not know why the Lord gives more time to some but not to others. Why the Lord takes someone we love and spares us. God is sovereign in our lives and does what He will to do. He chooses one to glorify Him by His or her life. He chooses another to glorify Him by His or her death. Again, Paul in Romans teaches that if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. At home, we've been trying to memorize a catechism with our children. The first question reads, What is my only hope in life and death? Answer, that we are not our own but belong to God. The longer answer in the Heidelberg Catechism says that I am not my own but belong with body and soul both in life and in death to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil it is he is our only hope is 
he yours? Your only hope? Is he your chief comfort? And there's again mention of prayer in verse 12. When these had dawned on Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, and called, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And here's the, another funny part, verse 13. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and, the serv and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening the door and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Picture poor Rhoda, so excited, out of joy, shouting, it's Peter, it's Peter. And then being dismissed as if she was crazy. You're out of your mind. Paul Miller in his book, A Praying Life, describes how cynicism affects our prayers and hopes. He says, most of us are not aware that cynicism is a problem or that it is taking hold of our hearts. It just feels like we can't find the joy in things, like we are too aware to trust or hope. If I get an answer to prayer, sometimes I'll think it would have happened anyway. Other times I'll try to pray, but wonder if it makes any difference. David Wilkerson, an evangelist from Pennsylvania, went to New York and writes about two gang leaders that ended up giving their lives to God, flickering their cigarettes and dropping to their knees and praying. And it appeared so easy that this evangelist, Wilkerson, thought they were probably making fun of him. So he went at home, told his wife about this, and she said, David Wilkerson, You've been praying for a miracle like this for years, and here you are, arguing it away. But that's what's so unique about God's power, that despite our unbelief and despite the cynicism, God responds to your prayer. God's power, the power of the true powerful king, does not depend on us or the strength of our prayers. He does not need us. God had determined to save Peter, but the way in which God had determined to save Peter was in, respond to, in response to the prayers of the Christians who were praying. Yes, Peter could have been saved without their prayers, but he was saved through their prayers because that was the way God had determined to save him so this should motivate our prayers even more God is working powerfully through our prayers so we've seen the apparent power of the violent king and the actual power of the true God and Luke ends this chapter with the last battle the vindication or victory of God as the only true king Note the irony on verses 21 and 22. On the appointed day, wearing his royal robes, 
he sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people and they shouted this is the voice of a God and not of a man picture the scene and the apparent king was wearing royal robes sitting on his throne addressing the people and again that's what abusive leadership accomplishes not sincere followers but hypocritical praise and also violent and abusive leadership does not give glory to God but God will judge anyone who stands in his place look at verse 23 immediately because Herod had not given praise to God an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died and this word struck in verse 23 is the same word Luke uses when the angel of the Lord wakes up Peter he struck Peter on the side in order to rescue him now the angel of the Lord struck Herod down in order to con condemn him the Lord is the one and only true king the Lord is vindicated the church is avenged and God will judge and condemn anyone who opposes him do you remember the growing power of Sauron in Mordor this is how the evil power of Sauron ends in at the end of the Lord of the Rings the realm of Sauron is ended said Gandalf the ring bearer has fulfilled his quest the captains bowed their heads and when they looked up again behold their enemies were fleeing and the power of mortar was scattering like dust in the wind as when death smites the swollen brooding things that inhabits their crawling hill and holds them in all sway ants will wander witless and purposeless and then feebly die so the creatures of Sauron orc or troll or beast rather hither than thither mindless and some slew themselves or cast themselves in pits or fled wailing back to hide in holes and dark lightless places far from hope God overturns Herod's power and vindicates himself as a true king and finally the powerful and victorious king establishes his kingdom through his word Did you see that verse 24 the word of God continued to spread and flourish as one dies the kingdom of God increases and flourishes dear church this is what God's kingdom looks like and victory in a world that opposes Jesus it's a praying church praying earnestly your kingdom come and the word of God increasing mightily although our world is not so much opposed to Christianity and Christianity is conformed to it which is equally dangerous dangerous and apparently powerful we must all the more pray earnestly and expect joyfully 
for the power of God to act in our churches. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Let us remember that God is king. Don't ever forget that no matter the hardship or opposition, Jesus reigns. He is the true powerful king. He rescues us and we can come to God in prayer, earnest prayer, expectant prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Let's pray. Father, thank you for showing us your power, the power of your kingdom, much greater than any power in the world. Whether it is personal hardship or communal hardship, let us come together in prayer, earnest prayer, because we trust that you are more powerful that Jesus is king that he has been crowned king and is reigning over all and at the end we will see the church victorious and we will celebrate you and praise you forever as the only true king in Jesus name we pray amen